Welcome to Fearless Mom. Actually, welcome to the last lecture of this semester of Fearless Mom. I don't know about you, but I feel like the spring has flown right by. Some of you with newborns are thinking, hmm, that would be nice. <laughs> Nothing flies right by. It will. It will, I promise. Um, but we are pretty excited to wrap up um, our two-week series on women of the Bible, moms of the Bible, and what we can learn from them. But before we get started, we want to welcome in our online moms and maybe on Online dads, we are thrilled that you are watching or listening. The gift of technology reminds you, we hope, that you are not alone, that we're all in this together, that you can do this. Hang in there. Don't give up. And um, we believe in you. And we are supporting you and walking alongside you and cheering you on from the greatest city ever. Maybe someday you'll get a chance to visit. Um, but anyway, we are so, so excited to get this party started. But I think we should start with a word of prayer because this Bible story that I'm talking about today follows up another Bible story that I love so much. And so I may or may not be talking like a fire hose today. So brace yourselves and hold on to your paper. It may blow out of your seat. God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word we thank you for the local church. We thank you for Jesus that we just celebrated his resurrection with Easter. God, we thank you that you care so much, that you love us and our children so much, more than we could even imagine. What comfort we have in knowing that our creator has a plan for each of us as well as for each of our children. God, I ask right now that you settle our hearts, that you settle our minds, that you remove distractions, open our eyes and our ears to what you want us to learn today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Now last week I mentioned, and we've mentioned before, that we at Fearless Mom believe that the Bible is God's Word. Literally the Word of God. The Word that is documented for us today. But it was documented many, many years ago. We believe that the Bible is literally inspired by God. Every word. Yes, there are, there are directives in there, there are commands in there, but there are also real accounts of people who actually lived. And God, through the Holy Spirit, directed man what to write and then instructed them on what to put together. And that's what we have the Bible today. All scripture is God-breathed, is inspired by God, and is useful for teaching and training and correcting and directing. And that's why we are wrapping up this semester looking at two moms from scripture. We believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that every detail that is in this Bible is there for a reason and that we can learn from every single thing recorded. And so that's what we're about. Last week we talked about Hannah um, from the book of First Samuel and what, a, what some principles that we could learn from her as a mother. And today we will look at one of the strongest, most courageous, most clever mothers that has ever lived. And that is Moses' mother. Now you may not believe that this is God's word. And that's okay. We encourage you to keep reading it. 
Because whether you believe it's inspired from the Holy Spirit or not, you have to admit that there is wisdom in here. And if you read the story about Moses, then there are definitely life skills and life applications that you can learn from it. We do believe that it is miraculous, that it transcends age, life stage, and time like no other book. And so as we dig into Moses' mother and all that we can learn from her, I just want to remind you of that because sometimes it's overwhelming. Like for me, I'm not really a reader, and the font is so tiny. And so I get very overwhelmed very easily. And so one of the things that I've learned is my favorite thing is teaching children about Scripture because I look at the story completely differently and so because I'm getting into their minds and how they're going to hear it. So if you are overwhelmed by Scripture, I would encourage you to read the Bible to your children and look at it from their perspective. You'll see it completely differently. Now what we're going to do today, I'm going to tell you the story about Moses, but I'm going to give you a little background, which I I think is absolutely incredible. Um, we love in LHC Kids to say that the Bible is, you know, God's Word, and God's Word has two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament tells about way before Jesus was born, and the New Testament tells about when and after Jesus was born. So our story today comes from the Old Testament. So all the kids know, what does that mean? That means that it happened way before Jesus was born. And they also know that we learn about um, Joseph and creation in the very first book. And what's the very first book? called Genesis. And what does Genesis mean? Beginning. And our story today comes from the book of Exodus. And we love to teach the kids what those books mean. Exodus literally means exit. As the Israelites exited out of Egypt. I just think there's so much. And look, I hadn't even gotten into the Bible story yet. Um, but uh, the story that we are going to talk about today is when the Israelites, God's people, were in captivity in Egypt. Now, if you go back a little bit before that, you realize why God's people are in captivity. Perhaps you've heard of the story of Joseph, his coat of many colors, and how his brothers were jealous of him, and how they sold him to be a slave, and he ended up being a slave in the nation of Egypt, and he ended up actually being favored by Pharaoh and rising up in the ranks and being in charge of all of um, the people of Egypt right under Pharaoh. And so Joseph, who was an Israelite, was brought to Egypt as a slave, and then he became very important in the country of Egypt. That was when there was a famine, and this is what I think is so fascinating. Joseph's father, Jacob, God had actually changed his name to Israel. And so therefore, his name now was Israel. And all of his descendants are called the Israelites. And so all of them, when they were um, suffering from no food, they were brought, they came into the country of Egypt to get food. And that is when they recognized that Joseph, their brother, was in charge. He forgave them and brought Jacob and all of his family back. Now, I love telling the kids this. So how many brothers did Joseph had? Joseph had 11 brothers. So how many boys are there in all? Oh, good math, guys. There are 12 in all. Their father was named Jacob, whose name was changed to? How many tribes of Israel are there? 
you guys are just as good as our second graders. I mean, y'all are rocking it today. And so anyway, so they came into Egypt, and so they lived there, and Joseph, again, was high up in the ranks. And so even though they were outsiders, they were Israelites, or they were Hebrews, um, living in the um, nation of Egypt, they were still considered outsiders. But because of Joseph... They were respected. But the Bible goes on in the first chapter of Exodus to say that all of those, that generation died. And the next generation of Egyptians did not remember Joseph and what he had done. So they did not recognize the Hebrews as an important people. As a matter of fact, the Pharaoh and the other leaders began to see that the Israelites, the Hebrew people, were multiplying in number. And they began to get afraid because they said, hey, these guys who are foreigners in our land, they're beginning to multiply, and there are going to be more of them than there are of us, and they're going to take over our country. That's how it starts. And then the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. Because they were so worried that they were going to take over, they said, you know what we'll do? We'll make sure they know that we're in charge, and we will just discourage them, the Bible says. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down in crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of two words I can't pronounce, as supply centers for the king. The more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians just got ruthless with them. I mean, they were horrible slave drivers. So much so that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, and those were the people, the Israelites, gave this order, and those are also two names that I cannot pronounce. (laughs) This is what he said to them. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders, and they allowed the boys to live too. So the king called the midwives. Why have you done this, he demanded. Now, this is the king of Egypt. This is the pharaoh. He is obviously a bad guy. He is the one who is saying to kill all the babies. Why have you done this, he demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? And they said, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. This is what I always think. They're like southern women. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The Hebrew women are more like southern women than Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. That's right. Doesn't that sound like a good southern woman? So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, God gave them families of their own. And so Pharaoh's plan at first was, okay, we'll get the midwives to take care of the babies. The midwives, though, feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. That is a good lesson for all of us, to fear God more than we fear disappointing others. I'm telling you what, there's a lesson right there, but I don't have time. Um, So then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. You may let the girls live. Now, at this point... um, You know, Pharaoh has just taken it up a notch. And we also see that, I mean, I, of course, get into the mind of a Hebrew woman. And so in chapter 2, it starts, and there was a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi um, who was one of Jacob's sons. Um, 
from that tribe uh, came a man and a woman, and they were now pregnant. Now, if you were pregnant in this day and age, you didn't have a gender reveal party. You know, I mean, they didn't do a sonogram to figure out. There was no, let's cut the cake and see if it's a boy or a girl. As a matter of fact, if you can get into the mind of a Hebrew woman, she's thinking, what if it's a boy? The whole time, all nine months, she's thinking, what if it's a boy? She is praying for a girl, probably. But now remember, that was a male-dominated culture. So for your family to continue, you also wanted a boy. And they knew that the men Israelites would be the one to protect their nation. So imagine the anxiety of the Hebrew women when they would give birth. But listen to this wise woman. This woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw, her name is Jochebed. Raise your hand if you have a friend named Jochebed. Yep, me neither. Sorry, I always do that in LHC kids too. Um, The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby. He would definitely be in the GT program. Saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister, we know her name is Miriam, the baby's sister, and she was like 13 to 15 years older you know, than he was, Um, The baby sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon, Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe. So we know that um, Jochebed put the baby into the Nile near where Pharaoh's daughter would be. So where was I? Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children. And then we know that the baby's sister went to Pharaoh's daughter and said, Oh, would you like for me to find someone to help you take care of the baby? I know just the woman, and I believe she'd be willing to do it. And so isn't it amazing, though, how it all worked out? In my mind, like, that was such a, that Miriam must have been going like, Yeah, I got somebody. (laughs) I'll help, but probably not. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I get distracted when when my imagination gets me carried away. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother, Jochebed. Isn't that amazing? I will pay you for your help. So she now not only gets her son to live, she is now getting paid. Raise your hand if you're getting paid to raise your baby. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Me neither. Nothing. Nothing. Okay. But she did. I mean, this is like amazing. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted her, adopted him as her own. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. It's simply amazing when you look at the story of Jochebed, when you look at how strong and courageous she was, when you consider how clever she was. I mean, just she didn't just take what was given her like, oh, this is such a bummer. She's like, oh, no, oh, no, I can fix it. You know, she was very determined. I love that. There are four words that describe her that you have in your notes there. Number one, she was unafraid. Everybody say unafraid. Unafraid. 
She was brave. She was unafraid. If you look in Hebrews eleven twenty three, um, it's a reflection back on the story of Moses. And it says it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child. There was something about Moses that they recognized right at birth. I know we all feel that way about our children, don't you? I mean, my dad was convinced Emily was the smartest newborn ever when she was an hour old. Uh huh. He said, um, he came back from the little nursery thing. He goes, she is so smart. I'm like, wow, that is impressive. If we can make that evaluation at this point. He said, she is the only one with her eyes wide open. We should have known. <laughs> we should have known. They saw that God had given them an unusual child and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. She knew the possible consequences of her action, but I believe that she dug deep. That sure, she was faced with anxiety, I mean, and and uncertainty, but she chose to dig deep and she let her strength outweigh her fear. What an amazing example. She was unafraid. Um, Then she was undeterred. She was not easily swayed. Turn to your neighbor and say, be stubborn. You know, stubborn gets a bad rap. People have told me my whole life I'm stubborn. And I thought that was bad. And now I think it's awesome. Um, I think we should all embrace stubborn. Just make sure you're stubborn about the right things. Jochebed was stubborn about keeping her child safe. And so she was faced with horrible odds. But she remained undeterred. And she knew she had to do everything in her power to keep her child safe. She was unafraid. She was undeterred. She was unrestricted. She wasn't bound by conventional thinking. She wasn't bound by, well, this is the hand I've been dealt. You know, I've just got to do what I got to do. I mean, it's just, it's who we are. It's just, it's the times we live in, you know, it's just a rough time. No, she said, I've got a vision for this child. God has said this child is special and I will do what I need to do. She was not bound by conventional thinking. Hey guys, we teach all the time, be strong enough to be the only one to our children. Be strong enough to be the only one. We must be strong enough to be the only one. It takes someone strong to make someone strong. And she was unrestricted and not bound by conventional thinking. She was very creative and very clever. And finally, she was unselfish. To save Moses' life, she had to let him go. I can't imagine what that must have been like. But she knew for his best life, for him to have a chance to survive and possibly thrive, she had to let him go. She understood it's not about me. It's about my responsibility to my child. And that is major. If we all agree, okay, my responsibility as mom is to equip and to raise up strong, competent, independent adult children, then I must get my mind around the thought that at some point I will let him go. It's not about me. It's about my responsibility to her. It's about my responsibility to him. And she knew that. Jochebed knew that. And so that's why she had the courage and the strength to do what she did because she was very unselfish. So what can we learn from Jochebed? We can learn how to let go of our children. 
So how do we let go of our children? And if you have a newborn, don't panic. It doesn't happen in the first week, okay? Um, It is a process. But it's very important that you wrap your mind around the concept as early as possible. Because if I wrap too much of my identity up into my child, I'm not going to parent effectively. I'm not going to take care of myself effectively. I'm not going to take care of my marriage effectively. And we know that all of those things must be in the right place for us to raise up strong, competent, independent adult children. So no matter the age of your child, as early as possible, get your mind around the idea of my job is to work myself out of a job. It does happen gradually. Sometimes Mac and I will say it's like um, a track race. If you see um, a relay where they transfer the baton, and that's what we're doing. We want to transfer the baton of responsibility to our children, but it's a process, so don't panic. Um, But how do we do that? The first thing we learn from Jochebed, she said a great example, is dream. Dream. Everybody say, dream big. Jochebed's vision for Moses was that he live. I just want him to stay alive. So she did everything in her power to save his life. And she put him into the Nile. God said, I'll take that dream and I'll raise it. And so God's vision for Moses was that he would save the entire nation of Israel. Jochebed didn't know that. She just said, I just want him to live. But she had big dreams for him. So that is what we can learn from her. I need to have big dreams for my children. Jochebed was unconventional in her thinking. We have already said that. When we talk about having a vision for your family, having a vision for, first you have a vision for your life, then you have a vision for your marriage, then you have a vision for your children, and it goes in that order. But when we talk about that, we must be willing to be unconventional. Because maybe the vision that God has given you for your life or your family or your children, maybe it's unconventional, maybe it's unpopular. Maybe it just hasn't been done before. That doesn't mean he's not going to do it now. I remember a friend saying to me, she had teenage sons, and she was talking to a relative, and the relative was saying to her, well, of course, you need to talk to your kids. They will definitely, all kids have sex before marriage. All of them do. All teenagers do. And the mom said, no, they don't. That, that's, not, um, that's not what we're teaching ours. We're teaching our children purity before marriage. And her relative goes, that's ridiculous. That's stupid and that's ignorant. But see, she had a bigger dream. She had a bigger vision. She understood, hey, you know what? The best life for my children is if they submit their life to God's plans. If they say, I submit my life to God's laws. I submit my wants to his ways. That's my children's best life. And so it was unconventional. And her family made fun of her for it. But she knew, hey, my vision for my family, for my God. And it may be unconventional, and that's okay. But dream big, dream big. Proverbs 29, 18. Good grief. If you've heard me speak three times, you've definitely heard me use this verse. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But happy is he that keepeth the law. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. 
It's like Yoda, you know, words turned around. Um, But where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. That's saying where there's no revelation from God, where there's no direction from God, the people run around like crazy. When it comes to parenting and a God vision for your children, you have to go to the Almighty, the Creator. And His vision for your life may be unconventional, and that's okay. That's okay. Your uh, vision for your life that God wants to give you, your family may not understand it. You may be the first generation that says, we're going to raise our kids in the church, and your family makes money. That's okay. It's here. We get our God vision here. And then a God vision for our marriage. I will um, fight to the death for my marriage, and I will fight to the death for my friends' marriages. I believe marriage is a gift from God that it cannot be uh, tainted with. You know, I believe that we should fight for it. We should fight for our marriages. We should fight for other people's marriages. It's a big deal. And some people think that's, you know, like, oh, that's so old-fashioned. That's so outdated. That's, uh, that's okay. I got a God vision right here, and I'm totally okay with being outdated. And then my vision for my children Um, I remember when Emily was in high school and another mother said to me, um, well, she has to play spring ball if she's going to play varsity next year, you know. And I said, oh, well, she doesn't have to. I mean, like, you have to go to school and you have to pay taxes. But other than that, I mean, you don't have to. She said, yes, you do. They have to do it. And I said, well, you know, um, we'll see. And so we got the schedule for the spring ball, and it was every weekend except Easter and Mother's Day. And um, Emily said, hey, Mom, I don't want to do it. And I said, that's okay. You don't have to. Because why? It's our vision for our family. And that's okay. And guess what? She still played. But, that, but it doesn't matter. You've got to be strong enough to hold fast. And I know, and I kind of went off on the um, sports and being pulled away from church last weekend. I stand by it. But... Um, <laughs> But what happens is when your toddlers and preschoolers are home, you go, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. And it happens so gradually. It's a season that has just three Sunday games. Then it's a season that has five Sunday games. Then it's, then before you know it, you've been away from church so long that um, your children are more familiar with the ballpark um, you know, concession stand than they are the children's ministry. And I get it. People don't do it on purpose. They say, but you know what? Jochebed was undeterred. She was stubborn, and she was creative in her thinking. And I believe that when we have a big vision, that we are going to have to be undeterred, and we are going to have to be creative in how we play that out. So dream is the first one. Um, I also have, uh, oh, I love this verse from Mark 10, 27. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible. This must have been what, what Jochebed was thinking. Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. That's the mentality we have to have. We serve the Almighty. When we're making our family schedules, when we're raising our children, when we're fighting for a marriage that appears to be dead, we say, you know what? Yeah, it looks like all the cards are stacked against us. It looks like this marriage is not going to work. We don't even like each other. We haven't spoken in two weeks. And with God, everything is impossible. That's what we have to remember. Um, Okay, the next one is work. Isn't that a fun one? You are all so excited to write that down. Work. Everybody say work. 
guess what? Motherhood is hard work. It's worth it, but it is work. Nobody tells you that in advance, okay? I've heard from so many mothers, it's just harder than I thought it was going to be. You know, that's because none of us would have children. If we had known that, you know, humanity would stop now, if we knew how difficult it was going to be, it's worth the work, but it's definitely hard work. But we have to be diligent and intentional to prepare our children for adulthood. It is definitely hard work, but it is doable. It is doable. Now, anything that you work at every day, you're going to have bad days. You're going to have maybe a bad week. Perhaps you're looking at me and you don't want to nod because you've been in a bad season. And that's, you know what? That doesn't mean that tomorrow can't be better. Because I will not give up. I refuse to give up. That's the mentality we have to have. I refuse to take the um, common thought, of the conventional wisdom that says teenagers are terrible. Teenagers and their parents just are not friends for years. And then eventually they come back around when they have their own children at age 28. Just hang in there for those 15 years. I refuse to believe that. I remember when I said, um, I saw this couple in our church and they had older children and we were in a restaurant and um, she said, you know, how's it going? And I said, great, Emily's starting middle school. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. And so I thought she was kidding. And she was like dead serious. She goes, I'm sorry, that is not a fun time. And I remember thinking, and Mac and I had done um, student ministry for years, and I went back to our table and I said, she just like really was trying to, you know, kill my vibe here. I mean, she was trying to just, you know. And I said, you know what, Mac? We will enjoy it. I go, we will have fun. I mean, I don't know. Perhaps we will have to be medicated, but we will enjoy ourselves. We will have fun. I'm like, I've been stubborn about so many things in my life. I will just remain stubborn about this. And and why won't it transfer? And I do not believe in conventional thinking. I don't. I believe that TV shows and books and all of that, I believe they give our teenagers a bad rap and our teenagers play to our expectations where our teenagers want to be children and they want to be part of the family. So when we make that shift, they rise to the occasion. We have seen it all over our campus at Lake Hills Church. Our student ministry, our students are pretty much running our children's ministry because they are awesome and they rise to the occasion when the expectation is there. I love teenagers. Turn to your neighbor and go, you are going to love having a teenager. Turn to your other neighbor and say, teenage girls are especially fun. (laughs) You just don't give up. You be bound and determined to enjoy yourself, and you work on the relationship. Yes, there are seasons when you live in a season of consequences, but you work on the relationship. I promise, I promise. You have to be, like we said about Jochebed, though, in this work, As we're working on the vision that God has given us, you have to be creative and you have to be clever. She was very clever in her thinking. She put the child in the Nile River. She she worked to get the basket waterproof. It was very, I thought, did she, was she thinking in those three months while she had him at home? Okay, what am I going to do next? How is this going to work? But she was intentional and she was deliberate and she was clever and she was creative. And that's what we have to be. Because if you have a newborn, you're thinking, yeah, date night. What is that? But 
we know that if my goal is to let go of my children, you know the best thing I can do for my children right now? I can make sure that my faith is strong and my foundation is built in my identity in Christ and I can work on my marriage. And so, okay, I have to be clever and creative. This is a season, and um, I don't even know where my razor or my makeup is. And so how can I work on myself and my marriage? And you talk to other moms. How do you do it? My faith, you know, I don't have time to. So, guys, technology now, you can, like, put on the Bible. It just be reading to you all the time, you know. And so that's got to stick somewhere, you know, and, and worship music. And, and you think, I've just got to be clever. I've got to be creative, but I've got to take care of myself. My children are better off if I'm rooted in Christ and I'm working on my marriage. And some seasons, you got to get creative. Mac and I had zero money. When I say zero, I mean like negative money. And so we traded with a friend for date night. And when I say date night, like we had to choose, are we going to eat at Dave and Buster's or play games? And so we, we could not do both. And so you know what we did? We like went through a drive through and then played games at Dave and Buster's because it was so awesome. And Mac spent all the money on that basketball game. But I have got some great Dave and Buster mugs to prove it um, from about 20 years ago. But you see, you've got to be creative. Don't use it. You know what? Jochebed could have said, this is terrible. This is terrible. But instead she said, what am I going to do about this? What can I do? That's what the attitude we have to have. Be creative and be clever. Next one is trust. Everybody say trust. We don't like to trust. As moms, we think our children are safer if I'm in total control of everything. I believe that I can put a force field around my children just by being in the same room. It's amazing when your children get their driver's license, you all all of a sudden think, you know, like, she's clearly not safe anymore because I am not right beside her. I am not right beside him. You see, eventually letting go. And I have to trust that God loves my children even more than I do. That is hard. That is hard. I believe it about myself. I know Romans 8, 28, God works good in all things for those who believe in him and are called according to his purposes. I believe that for me. But I don't want my children to suffer any or have any difficulty or anything. I don't know if I believe it as much for them. Well, see, if I believe that scripture is true for me, then I've got to transfer that truth to my children. And so I've got to trust that God has my children in the palm of his hand. And that's a biggie. That's a biggie. That's when if I am constantly doing that because I can feel the fear creep in. The fear, oh, middle school bus. The first time Emily rode the middle school bus, I was a wreck because she gets car sick. And I knew first day of middle school I had an entire scenario in my head. I knew what was going to happen. She was going to be on those windy roads on the way to the middle school and all of her friends were going to be on the bus. She was a sixth grader and she was going to puke all over everybody and then she was going to be known as that girl who threw up on the first day of school all of her middle school life and then she would never have any friends and she probably wouldn't even go to college. I mean, after that devastation, I can't blame her, you know. So I'd created this entire scenario. And so each stage I had to trust and I had to let go. And I know that's kind of a ridiculous thing. It was not ridiculous to me at the time, FYI. But um, I, it's little things like that we have to let go. We have to trust. We have to trust. And it is over and over. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I suggest that you write this down on a card and put it in your car, put it on your mirror, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. You see, when we try to figure things out and we want it all to make sense, we get ourselves in trouble. 
Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. How do I know when to let go? How do I know how independent? How do I know? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You take each step. You submit your life to God's word, and then he will show you the next step. He'll show you. He'll give you the wisdom, discernment, and common sense that you need. But you must trust in him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's not necessarily going to make sense to you. Do not depend on your own understanding. God didn't command you to understand. He commands you to obey and submit to his ways. I submit my life to his laws. I submit my wants to his ways. Life always works better. And finally, partner partner. Everybody say partner. You know what? I'm going to need you to do it again and say it like you mean it, you know, because we like to go at this alone. I need you to say partner. Say it again. Surround yourself with others who will encourage you. Proverbs 20:18 says, plans succeed through good counsel. Don't go to war Uh Uh-oh, wait, don't try to be a mom. There are a lot of similarities there, okay? Don't go to war without wise advice. Partner with other people who support your God-given, faith-fueled vision. I'm not saying that all of your friends are going to understand, but you just want to be sure that you've got a circle of friends that when you struggle in your marriage and you begin to complain about your husband, or you begin to say things like, I think it's over. I can't do it anymore. I'm tired. I'm tired of working on it. I don't like him. His breathing bothers me now. I don't want to be around. That Your circle of friends says, I get it. Don't give up. I get it. Stick with it. It is a season. Fight for it. You must have friends who will fight for your marriage when you're tired of fighting. I had friends, fortunately, who when Emily was in the throes of her strong-willed blessingness, um, which was a season of about 25 years, just kidding, in, in and out of her seasons, that I had friends who would laugh about it and say, you're going to be, it's, what is God going to do with that strength? It's going to be amazing. And they kept me plugging. Instead of, if we're not careful, we can surround ourselves with people. All the people in our lives can be in the exact same stage we are. So much so that when you're at the park and you're complaining about potty training, that all of a sudden you decide that two and three is the worst age in the world. Why can't we skip it? It's horrible. Everything is horrible. My life is terrible. I hate my life right now. Unless you have someone else in the circle who says, oh, guys, trust me, that flies right by. I just dropped mine off at college. Or someone else who says, I'm still trying to get pregnant. And so I would love to have that problem right now. So we have to make sure that we're surrounding ourselves with people in other life stages too. Not just people who will cheer you on, but make sure you are seeing other perspectives of life. It is a game changer because if you are struggling in your marriage, odds are you're going to gravitate toward others who are struggling in theirs. So then when you all get together... No one's defending the husbands, and it's just bash, bash, bash. That's just our natural tendency. But remember Jochebed? She was unconventional. She was unrestricted by conventional thinking. She was undeterred. She was unselfish. It's not about me. It's about my responsibility to my child, to my God, to my husband. 
It's a different perspective. We have to partner with other people. And I believe you know how I feel about the local church. I believe that the local church is there. God gives you as parents the local church to come alongside you, to help you, to cheer you on. That's what the church is for, to partner with parents, to raise up a generation of leaders. And so if you are from a family who doesn't understand your priority on church, you remain stubborn and say, this is my God-given vision. I'm okay that not everybody understands but I believe this is what God wants for our life it is worth it for me and you will travel in circles that don't get it and that's okay you remain undeterred and we say all the time we love the local church Mac and I do we're not um, we don't love the local church because we're in ministry We actually are in ministry because we love the local church. The local church saved both of our lives. And so I came from a great family. But it was in my church that I learned about a personal relationship with God. And it was in the church that I met my husband. And it was in the church that I've met my best friends. And so I love the local church for that reason. I want that for you. But actually, I really want it for your kids. But they don't all drive yet. And so I need you to get behind it because that's what God's design and desire is not for you to do this alone. His design and desire is for you to find other women who will support you, to find a church that will support you. If it's not this local church, let it be another local church that preaches that your life works best when you submit it to God's will. Um, We say there are many, many different kinds of churches, many different kinds of churches. Just find one that's teaching God's word because that is the way your life works best. That's what we learn from Jochebed. Jochebed, and I want to go back to the Bible in Hebrews saying that she feared God more than she feared the Pharaoh. And so when we talk about a vision for our lives, a vision for our children, and parenting to raise up strong children, sometimes we're swimming against stream, against we're swimming against the current, and, and we're, we're being unconventional, but we're choosing that because we believe that that is God's design and God's desire for our lives and for our children's lives. And like Jochebed, when we trust and we let go of our children, God's dream and his vision for our children much bigger than anything we could ever imagine. And that is so, so comforting. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for Jochebed and the example that she is for us of someone who was unselfish and undeterred, unrestricted and unafraid. We know because of what we read in Scripture that her strength was found in you. And we know that that is the same God. You're the same God that Jochebed had. And you offer us that strength too, that wisdom, that discernment, that creativity. We ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you hover over every mom listening or watching or in this room that you remind them of your strength, your vision for their children, and you give them the courage that they need to do things your way. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Amen.